Bible. We're right now in the midst of Philippians, but we pause each January to review what we call here the disciplines of grace. If that phrase is in any way off-putting to you, maybe you could try avenues of grace or means of grace. But the underlying question is, how does God convey to his believing children his gospel grace after salvation? How does he sanctify us? And so today we're wrestling with the discipline of Bible reading. And we're working with a sermon that I've entitled, The God Who Speaks, How to Read God's Word. We're in Psalm 119. One pastor recently said, I've never met a mature, fruitful, strong, spiritually discerning Christian who is not full of Scripture, devoted to regular meditation on Scripture, and given to storing it in the heart through Bible memorization. We often speak in our circles of the need for consistent Bible reading. And why do we do that? Why do we do that? I suppose if we were honest, many of us would point the finger at someone else and say, because there's a lot of people that don't read the Bible at all and they should try. And that's true. But I would offer to you this morning that there are a lot of people who who do read the Bible faithfully. And sometimes when they get up from a time alone with the Lord in His Word, they're not sure that they've connected with the power of God through His Word. It is possible for a disciplined person to engage in the act of reading consistently, yet never really connect their heart to the Lord. I've been there. I've experienced that. Have you? I remember as a teenager in my wonderful youth group, I grew up in a wonderful church, and we were encouraged to read our Bibles. We even had a a Bible study for teens that was kind of a program where you could uh, achieve different levels of uh, rank or achievement, and we would get points for having devotions regularly. And I I know some of you recoil immediately at the mention of that, and I realize that could be a, a hearty exercise in legalism if it were not for the fact that my wonderful youth pastor, Pastor Dan, we used to affectionately call him P.D., He would once in a while jar us back to reality with a statement something like, you know, young people, you could do everything that we're urging you to do. You could attend church faithfully, you could pray, you could read your Bible, you could dress and act the way that we're urging you to, and you could still not be a spiritually minded, godly young person. I remember how jarring that was to me as a teenager. I was a rule keeper wanted to please uh, my authorities, wanted them to think well of me, whether that was deserved or not. I remember thinking in my heart, well then, how can I be godly? If doing doesn't get me godliness, then how am I godly? Of course, the simple answer is to rest in the imputed righteousness of Christ in our lives. Not to try to add righteousness to our own lives or to add what God has done in our lives but to live our lives out of a love for God and for a desire of relationship with Him. My youth pastor's point, PD's point, was that an atheist can sit down and read the Bible and not connect to the power of God. So we can approach our Bible reading in two very different ways. And I think this morning it's not the actual discipline of a reading skill that we need to address, but our mindset when we come to our reading that we should address. 
If our only hope when we come to read the Scripture is to be able to check some Christian duty off of a list or to feel better about ourselves or to, to earn points for a teen Bible study, then it's no wonder that we're frustrated to come up empty after a time in God's Word. While having a list or earning points might actually be a helpful thing in terms of motivation for us, if completing tasks is really the aim more than seeing Christ, then it's probable, probable that we'll fall short of engaging with the supernatural one in His Word. This morning in our passage... David, whom most commentators think wrote this psalm, models for us an effective time in the Word of God as he pleads with God for two things. And I offer them to you for your consideration and growth this morning. David pleaded with God to give him understanding of the Scriptures, and then he asked God for protection from the attacks of those who opposed God. The 19th century theologian Charles Bridges said of this morning's text, it may be considered as the journal of one who is deeply taught in the things of God, long practiced in the life and walk of faith. It's like a diary of the psalmist from his time in the Word. And these short sections of the psalm function independently of each other. They're not like uh, the writing of a narrative like we were in 2 Samuel, but they're more like short individual devotionals. And that's why Matthew Henry is said to have famously uh, written of this psalm that Psalm 119 is like a chest of gold rings, not a chain of gold links. Think about that. It's a chest of gold rings, little eight-verse units not a chain of gold links that are all bound together. It's the longest psalm. It's the longest chapter in, in Scripture anywhere. And it's organized in 22 groups of these eight-verse units, each of which pairs to a letter from the Hebrew alphabet and forms an acrostic. So let's read together this morning's gold ring, our Scripture passage together, beginning at verse 17 of Psalm 119. Psalm 119, 17 through 24. David writes, Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. So again, this morning's passage presents two concerns that David felt keenly in his life his desperate need of illumination from the Word, and his need of preservation through the Word. Do we want to find grace this year, this month, from God through the discipline of Bible reading? Our passage assures us that God gives grace-filled illumination and preservation to all those who diligently seek Him in His Word. So let's pause before we enter the outline together and ask for the Lord's help. Our Father, we do acknowledge that we're handling your 
spirit-inspired, God-breathed words this morning, and we do that. We do that with a sense of awe. We pray together, Lord, that as we hear your word, our heart's spirit would be not I, but Christ be honored, loved, exalted, and seen and known and heard. Lord, please work in us as we need greater strength to stand faithfully for you in the world, Lord. And as Pastor Jonathan preached, Lord, if you choose something for us that is harder, if the, if the years ahead are more empty of freedom to worship and love you and to hold to the truth of your word, Lord, strengthen us for that time and begin that now. Help us to step forward today, Lord, in a stronger walk with you because of your word. Lord, please, please bless us as we look into your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So David suggests we should first ask the Lord to help us with, to read with desperation for illumination. To live God's way, he says. Verse 17 reads, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Some suggest that this should translate, deal fully with your servant. So we have everything that we need to walk righteously. It expresses the intention of one who wants to obey anything that they can see or learn that God wants of them from the word. One pastor writes, for sure, God has dealt bountifully with us. We can't afford to forget that even the humblest or the poorest among us have unsearchable riches, unspeakable blessings. Life is theirs. Forgiveness is theirs. Acceptance is theirs. God is their father. Christ is their brother. The Holy Spirit is their comforter and guide. And so why would David say that I may live? Why would he want more years to live, a longer life? Well, that he might glorify him and increase in his personal holiness, that he could live and keep or obey God's word. Illumination to live God's way. But we also read for illumination to see God's works. That sweet verse that's so familiar to us, verse 18. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. The Hebrew word which translates into wondrous occurs repeatedly in the Old Testament, 23 times in the ESV translation. And each time it's speaking of God's actions, his works, his deeds, wonderful things that he's doing on behalf of his people. In 1 Chronicles 16, King David stands before the Israelite people and his heart is just exulting that the Ark of the Covenant is about to return to Jerusalem. Remember, it it was away from Jerusalem for a time after the failure of the Jewish people to properly transport the Ark. And Uzzah, in a moment of concern to help steady the Ark, uh, reaches out and touches it and and loses his life. It's after this that the scene is... uh, David in front of his people, and he's so joyful that the ark is going to return. Scripture says to a tent that they prepared for it in Jerusalem. And in his song of praise before Israel, he uses this word wondrous twice. 
In Job 37, Elihu urges his beleaguered and suffering friend Job to stop and consider the wondrous works of God. In the record of Jeremiah, kings are afraid. They're afraid of Nebuchadnezzar and his war machine, and they express their hope that maybe the Lord will act with his wonderful deeds and make Nebuchadnezzar withdraw. Many times in the Psalms, this word is used, wondrous works, wondrous deeds, wondrous things. It's God's work to be seen, to be observed. When David asks us of God, he's not saying, open my eyes so that I can see something that's otherwise obscure. He's not asking God to create something that's not really there. It's not open my eyes that I may learn something new or clever for the sake of my knowledge alone. It's not hoping that God will raise up in me intense feelings of emotion even. That's often what we want God to do in us when we turn to the Scriptures, isn't it? We want to find something interesting or find something that that causes us to feel wonderful because of our Bible reading. Well, there's an element of that. There's a confidence in David's heart that there are already wondrous descriptions of God's actions in Scripture, in God's law, and he wants help to see them so that he can watch God work. Don't let my blindness, he says, my spiritual dullness or slowness allow me to miss any description of your wonderful works. Open my eyes. In other places in Scripture, this word behold or to look at translates to have respect. So it could translate into English, open my eyes that I may have respect toward the wondrous things that are in your law. The result is that we don't just read stories from history, but we see God in Scripture. We see Him at work. And so David seems to suggest that we not just sit down and begin to read mindlessly, but that before we begin to read, we ask the Holy Spirit to open our minds to His truth. In a human life, in the human body, right, the expected path for us physically is that with aging, our vision, our ability to see will gradually dim. Yet the path for us spiritually can be the opposite, wonderfully. Our spiritual vision can grow increasingly sharp. We can enjoy a greater trajectory of, of increased spiritual eyesight as God does His wonderful work of illumination. In our human lives, there are wonderful things in creation that we don't often see initially until others help us see them. One person celebrates the glory of a full moon or of the sunlight glistening on a pond or a body of water, while others don't really notice those beauties at all until they're pointed out. I grew up in a city setting, so to me, to, to see anything larger than a rabbit or a squirrel growing up was just profoundly uh, wild. And recently, I was talking with my brother-in-law who lives just down the road from us off Hudson Road, and he said, you know, I, there's deer in that piece of property off of Hudson Road, uh, and I had never seen anything there. Um, but sure enough, the next morning as I came to church, with my, with my sentence, senses kind of heightened by what my brother-in-law had said, as I drove by this area of open acreage, I see not one but four deer standing by the side of the road. And I'm thinking to myself, how many times have I driven by here? And there have been deer maybe watching me, though I wasn't looking for them. 
And so it is in our spiritual life. There are many wonderful things, wonderful things in God's Word that we don't see initially, and we need the Holy Spirit to cause us to see. Scripture illustrates this truth elsewhere in its own words, that God's works are seen by some and missed by others. In Numbers 22, Balaam, the the prophet who is hired by the Midianites and the Moabites to curse Israel, he doesn't see the angel of light in front of him in the path, but the donkey he's riding sees it. In 2 Kings 6, the servant of Elisha, a young servant, was very fearful because of the Syrian army which was surrounding Dothan, the place where he and Elisha were. And yet after Elisha's prayer, God opened the eyes of this young servant to see an even greater host of horses and chariots ready to prevail over the Syrians. A wondrous work of God. These wondrous things of Scripture are so far beyond the, the temporary satisfaction we get from checking an item off a list. And we should pray as we begin to read our our Bibles in our own time before the Lord. We should pray that God would open our eyes to see them. Of course, nothing is a greater wonder than God's redemptive work that we can see developing all through Scripture, from Genesis through Revelation. And Isaiah prophesied that Jesus, our Redeemer's name, would be called Wonderful, from the same Hebrew root in Psalm 119, that describes God's great works. Wonderful. And powerfully, the meaning of the name of Jesus refers to a miracle, a truly marvelous thing, a wonder. He is the wondrous thing that we need to see in the Bible. If it's true, as one writer says, that we can put down our shovel anywhere in the soil of Scripture and dig up Christ then we want to approach our Bible reading with an expectancy of seeing Him there. We want to see God so that as David wrote in the 16th Psalm, when God is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Or in God's presence is fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. One pastor notes of this passage, nothing will fortify me in my troubles nor equip me to live according to your word as much as seeing in the pages of Holy Scripture more and more clearly the wounds that my suffering Savior bore for me in His great love. When your life is on the line, God could never deal with you more bountifully than to take you into His Word and show you afresh the wondrous thing that is the gospel of His grace. Nothing will garrison your faith or strengthen your resolve to face whatever comes like a fresh sight of the nails in Jesus' hands and feet willingly endured in love for you. So we ought to pray for illumination to see God's works. And then we read to pray for illumination to find God's directions. Verse 19, to find God's direction. I'm a sojourner on the earth, David said. Hide not your commandments from me. The picture here is of one who's new to an area maybe trying to learn the culture of a new place. And one commentator describes this image as a a refugee, one fleeing for safety, one looking for asylum, one who's taking on the status of a dependent. The word commandment in this verse 
hide not your commandments from me, emphasizes the authority behind what is being said. It's not just that God has the power to persuade in his arguments, but that he has the right to give those orders in the first place. And the attitude of the psalmist towards those orders is almost like he's afraid that he'll miss one of God's commandments. That one will be hidden from him. He wants to know God's direction and then obey it. And then we read for illumination to think God's way increasingly. Verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Rules meaning decrees from a sovereign. Consumed with longing at all times. Notice the intensity of those words. Consumed with. The KJV translates it, my soul breaketh. It's from a root meaning to crush or dissolve. And then longing. The word suggests that one is growing pale, that they're pining away after something. I long for your judgment so much that my soul is breaking, David says. And then, at all times, David, unlike us, sometimes didn't seem to read in spurts of effort. Rather, his passion for the Scripture was enduring. He was, at all times, constantly overcome by a desire to know God's thoughts and God's way. And this psalm really begs that question of us. Do I long for God's Word? And if I don't, what is it in my life that that is more important to me than God's Word? What is it that bumps out the energy to find a a quiet time to read and think and hear from God? Do I long for God's words? As humans, we're well acquainted with longing, right? I was telling Jen recently that I kind of long for a repeat of a special event that took place on the recent Christmas vacation. We might long for that, or we might long for an exciting trip that we have planned coming in our future. We might live a great distance from our children geographically or our grandchildren. And the time between visits sometimes can be years. And we long to see them again. We long for it. Why don't we pray that God would form in our hearts, in our affections, a longing for His Scripture for our next time in His Word, so that increasingly we would think His thoughts with Him. That we would pine after Scripture more than earthly things. That we'd be crushed or broken in our heart's desire for Scripture. And not out of a sense of guilt, but out of a desire to fellowship with and see Him there. A longing for God's Word. Another well-known pastor alive today says, I I think one reason why God's comforting Word doesn't penetrate into our situations of trouble like we need it to, is not because of its lack of power, but because of our lack of pursuit of that word. We don't stay with it long enough sometimes till its principles have permeated every molecule of our being and changed the way that we look at the trouble that we're in. It's not that God's word is empty or uninteresting, but it may be that we haven't worked at it long enough. How we ought to pray that God would form in our affections a longing for more time in His Word, for greater understanding of it, and for a clearer vision of Christ there. Show us Christ. So David prays in verses 17 through 20 for illumination through God's Word. 
And then he prays or he writes in his journal that this illumination would be used by God to preserve him in his life circumstances. Truly our hearts with David should read with a desperation for God's preservation. The connection is truly unavoidable. Where will we find the courage to offer answers to one like Pastor Stephen described to us last week in New York who said, I know the Bible, I just don't like it, I don't believe it. Where will we find answers if we're not in the Word for illumination from it? And how can we be preserved against the devil's attack on us if our minds are not preoccupied with that strengthening illumination? We think because of verses later in this psalm division that David is under attack in some way. Maybe, maybe physical or at least verbal. And yet David never asks God to eliminate his enemies or change his circumstances or even to protect him physically. He prays that God would keep him faithful to his word in his mind. It may be in our lives that God will never choose to relieve you of some physical difficulty, some, some ailment. He may never eliminate tension at work. He may never lower the stress level that it seems is God's will for your life. But he will give you grace through his word to preserve you and, and help you remain faithful. David writes of his intention to meditate and delight in God's word for preservation. In verse 21, David prays for preservation from doubts and unbelief. He says, you rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. These are people, the psalmist writes, who reject the authority of God's counsel. And it doesn't seem that these are the Philistines of David's day. It's not people who've grown up without a God consciousness. The use of the word wander here suggests that perhaps these are ones who once gave their attention to God's commandments. Perhaps in our day these would be former churchgoers, ones who did profess belief in Christ. But now they've deconstructed their faith, a stylish word in our day. In our culture, one can find a lot of support for challenging God's mind and the claims of Scripture. As I worked on this this past week, I I couldn't help but think of a, a young man, a college student I once had the privilege of working with, and sadly who now is so proud of having deconstructed his faith. Commentator Alex Motyer calls this verse a verse of caution reflecting what Yahweh thinks of those who forsake his truth. Commentator William Plummer writes of this passage, they, that is the insolent ones of verse 21, they may defy heaven now, they may laugh at sacred things, their pride may intoxicate them now, they may even question the divine existence But the day is coming when they would esteem it a mercy to have the mountains heaped upon them to hide from the presence of God. And those of you here this morning who might be struggling in this way, could I urge you to be careful with how you entertain your doubts? Scripture cautions you not to wander too far away. And I especially urge you not to choose never to read God's word at all. And then maybe by terrible extension, you slip further and further into disbelief. Give God the chance to speak for himself in his word. It's his revelation. While David speaks of God's rebuke of others, 
who wander from his commandments, he also seems aware he could fall prey to these same errors. This reality is why in our community group we're working through last week, we worked through the warnings about growing apathetic towards spiritual things and wanting to walk away from the truth to which we've had so much exposure. What a contrast in this psalm when we read that the psalmist is referred to as a servant who wants to do God's word and keep it, who wants to hear it. But the one who wanders, who rejects God's teaching is called insolent. We don't use that word very often, but it refers to one who's showing an arrogant disregard for the word of God. So David urges us to read for preservation from those same doubts of the arrogant one, people who are enemies of God. And then he prays for preservation in his own life from the fear of man. Not just the doubts and wandering of arrogant people, but even David's own potential arrogance in wanting man's approval over God's. David writes in verses 22 through 24 these words, Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. One commentator describes this as Scripture filling and occupying a potentially distracted mind. One distracted by the great consuming desire for approval from others. It reflects the Psalm 1 delight in the law of the Lord over walking in the counsel of the ungodly. David was human, so even David wrestled with the desire for approval, and yet when others scorned him and treated him with contempt, when princes plotted against him, he was determined to remain loyal to God. I meditate on your statutes. Your approval is what delights me, not the acceptance of princes. Maybe this is true of us, maybe in our workplace, maybe in the broader culture where we're sometimes tempted for an overwhelming desire to have the approval and the acceptance of important or cool people. But our delight ought to be in God's presence. We ought to long to be taught by His Spirit. We ought to long to be under His smile and protection. We stated as we began that there are many ways to think of approaching the Scriptures, but the David models for us here what seems to be two crucial concerns. Praying desperately for the Holy Spirit to illumine his mind in the Word and then praying that God would preserve him through that illumination. This is a far cry from that kind of reading we described early on where we just are completing a task or feeling good or earning points. The writer of Hebrews assures us that he, God, rewards those who seek him This is why we state that God gives grace-filled illumination and preservation to all those who diligently seek Him in His Word. May God help us to think this way and thereby grow. As we close, can I just offer you two personal words that might be helpful to you? We want you to be encouraged as a church family. This year for my reading, I decided to try the Navigator's Bible Reading Plan. It used to be called the Discipleship Journal Bible Reading Plan. It's been a great encouragement to me so far. It has a unique layout 
One reads from four different places in Scripture each day. So far this month, I've read a short portion from Matthew, from Acts, from a psalm, sometimes just half of a psalm, and then a chapter or two from Genesis. And it doesn't take that long to read that portion of Scripture. But the reading plan is laid out with assignments for only 25 days a month. So you get to the end of the month and you have five or six days to catch up if you, like me, have missed some days in your Bible reading. So far, I've been able to keep up with the schedule, so I plan to use the blank days at the end of the month to get a little ahead in my reading and to work on some Scripture memory. This might be a great help to some of you. You could start now, and with the extra days, you could catch up. It's called the Navigator's Bible Reading Plan. And then a second encouragement, just as we've said of other disciplines, of evangelism and fellowship, you don't have to do these things alone. You can find help to grow by sharing your hopes this year or your goals in Scripture reading with someone else in this church body. And by asking them for some periodic accountability, you'll strengthen your resolve and maybe help you be more successful, help you keep going so you don't quit mid-year. You won't be perfect, but perhaps you'll be stronger if you ask someone for help in pursuing it together. So may God help us to know His grace in large measure this spring as we pursue Him in this discipline, the discipline of Bible reading. Let's close in prayer together about this very thing. Lord, open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth Thou hast for me. Place in my hands the wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free. Silently now I wait for thee. Ready, my God, thy will to see. Open my eyes, illumine me, Spirit divine.